Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today we're talking about the United Arab Emirates, in particular Abu Dhabi and Dubai to a lesser extent, goal to become a commodities hub. Blessed by being located between the East and the West, it's been a growing center of global trade. Now, specific policies supporting commodities trading, as well as geopolitical events, means the UAE could be one of the most important commodities hubs of the future. And indeed, organizations today are locating offices there or relocating wholesale. Our guest is Bhaskar Dasgupta. Bhaskar is an independent board director, an advisor, and has over 20 years' experience in and around the region, latterly at ADGM. As always, please support the show by leaving a positive review on the platform you're listening on, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Bhaskar, thanks for joining. Thank you for inviting me. So we're talking about the UAE, in particular Abu Dhabi, and their goal to become a commodities hub. Now, I know you've been part of this story for quite some time, Bhaskar, but uh, we want to get into the, to why that is, why they're positioned to do that, and what the consequence might be for the global commodities sector. Can you just give us a sense of whose strategic vision is this, and indeed why? That is a very, very important perspective, I would say, Paul. The background to this is obviously this particular region is quite heavily dependent upon oil and gas. And I would say about the last 10 to 15 years, the realization among especially the oil-producing nations has slowly started to focus their minds on what is going to be a post-oil environment and future. It also concentrated minds because quite for several times over the past decade or two, the oil price did dip substantially. But by and large, I think right from the very beginning, people have been realizing that oil is going to run out and they need to prepare for a post-oil futures. And almost everybody adopted the what I would call as the standard way of uh, diversifying their economies, which were previously dependent upon a single asset class or a single asset that they had, uh, whether we're talking about things like uh, Chile had copper or or in this particular case, we have a situation where oil is obviously the primary driver. So from that perspective, uh, most of the countries have done it, obviously. Uh, different countries have had different success. Uh, one of the things that I would obviously say is that the UAE perhaps has always had that drive to have a diversified economy. If you look at, for example, Dubai, which is one of the Emirates of the UAE, has been quite an outlier, if you will, where they very heavily managed to diversify their economy away from an oil and gas and trading hub to now they have got crypto, they have real estate, they have services, transshipment hub, logistics, all that nice stuff. So, yes, that drive to diversify is there, it's catching fire, it's becoming more important. Some people are much further ahead, but that uh, underlying push is there. Thanks for that. And, and, and how stated has this been? Has the leadership of Abu Dhabi said, 
this is a clear goal. We want to become a commodities hub. How concrete is this goal or, you know, is it still relatively under wraps, so to speak? I would say, before I talk about Abu Dhabi itself, I think pretty much every country has very loudly and clearly stated that they need to diversify their economies. And uh, some of the attempts at the initiative that they have launched is to start making their economies, for example, have upstream and downstream diversification, to start developing financial centers, which is obviously going to mobilize and save and develop the, the financial sector to help diversify the economy, looking at their people and training them on how they can do other economic activities, so on and so forth. Now, when it comes to, uh, you mentioned Abu Dhabi and UAE, the late uh, first president of UAE, Sheikh Zayed, was explicit and is really, really somebody that I admire. He very clearly said quite a long time back that we cannot just rely on oil. And given the kind of forceful personality he had, he literally pushed very hard for the entire country and specifically Abu Dhabi to diversify substantially. He encouraged the, the wealth, the, the contacts, the diplomacy, the economics, the people, the universities, all parts of the economy to substantially start thinking about a post-oil world. Because very, very interestingly, he first thought, you know, the oil will run out. And then very soon after that, he realized that possibly the demand might run out before the black stuff does. So from that perspective, uh, a very, very far-sighted person. And that is, uh, if I may put it this way, almost like state policy that they are very heavily encouraging their economy to be diversified. Now, obviously, uh, to answer your question about uh, the commodities hub, this is the place for energy commodities. Also, this is a place for transshipment. It uh, sits in the middle of what I would call as the east to west trade. You have the Suez Canal. You have these days quite a lot of electronic and air freight based business. The major two hubs that have been based in terms of air freight uh, are in, in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. You obviously have the port business in Dubai and Abu Dhabi is coming up fast as well. So once you bring all these things together, it is by default that their ambitions to become a commodities hub, whether you're talking about the new kinds of commodities like crypto, to the old commodities, whether you're talking about oil and gas, uh, metals mining, so on and so forth, you see initiatives across the board. So that makes, you know, that makes certainly makes sense about the, the motivations to do it and to diversify the economy. And commodities seems very natural, given the location and the familiarity with with energy commodities in particular. It seems though that there is obviously there's a broader geopolitical backdrop to why Abu Dhabi is increasingly making sense for firms to locate there. We'll come on to some of the competitive advantages that policies have set up in a moment. You know, we ourselves have been there for four years and we've seen lots and lots of new either total entrance into the space, firms setting up capabilities there, or even new entrants starting off there. Can you just talk to us about the, that geopolitical backdrop that is meaning that Abu Dhabi's location and also its, its um, dare I say, it, non-alignment in an increasingly 
deglobalizing world is quite a powerful a powerful backdrop hmm. um no that is that is quite an interesting question and uh something that obviously over the past few months has further complicated and muddied the geopolitical footprint now especially when we are talking about the oil markets and the related markets uh, traditionally you always thought the old uh, almost like joke goes contrary to popular opinion oil seems to be the cause of troubled waters but if you look at the wider piece yes oil producing countries especially the opec um, do have their fair share of geopolitical challenges but when you look at the neighborhood or uae and abu dhabi in particular but traditionally it has been a bastion of calm peaceful business despite it being an oil producing nation and that's not just now for literally decades the leadership of the country made sure that you know you speak softly carry a big stake keep the economy open clear flows of capital and people and consequently if you think about the rankings of the countries compared to a variety of different rankings you would find that it is extraordinarily high and if you look at it from the perspectives of for example ease of doing business right it's pretty high but you might not believe it you might want to compare let's say freedom of press and if you look at what the what the association of reporters and i'm sorry it's in french i can't pronounce it um you will find that the freedom of press in the uae is surprisingly much higher than quite a lot of other democracies if 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 you want to compare it that way and these things cannot be done just by by fiat it cannot be done by dec- decree and it can't be done overnight these kind of uh, sort of you know reputations and the geopolitical status and the reactions they have to other geopolitical uh, issues or macroeconomic issues these are literally years and decades into the making so what the country has done is very consistently very steadily managed to sail the multipolar world the bipolar world the the shifts of power struggles the the issues around oil and gas energy the discussions um uh, around wars and revolutions and arab springs and all that nice stuff and if there is one thing that people like especially when it comes to the business uh business side is stability consistency transparency progressiveness and pragmatism and on all these factors what the country has done is to really establish that it is doing that for literally decades mm. so from a geopolitical perspective what you asked it's a great place to do business that i mean the that role for example is one that traditionally switzerland has played right it has been a neutral country it has very protective banking laws regulation etc that are pro business and typically has managed to not be a part of some of the the seesawing and competition between the us and russia and the us and china etc that mm-hmm. in the wake of the uh, russia's invasion of ukraine is becoming increasingly 
difficult to sidestep, not least the population themselves are demanding action. Are you seeing, you know, are organizations increasingly going to Abu Dhabi, the UAE, because they are able to play that non-aligned role? And when you have an increasingly deglobalizing world, having locations where you can still operate and access most regions is increasingly crucial. Hmm. That, that's a good point and a comparison. Now, one of the things that I would say is that, you know, you compared it with, uh, with Switzerland. And I think the trick uh, or the way to perhaps look at this is you have to divorce or clearly separate the political environment with the business environment. In my opinion, quite a lot of countries where they tend to get these two muddled up is where the inconsistency, the the conservatism, the issues around uh, rapid changes in policies. And that just means that the operating environment is very disturbed, not consistent, stable, etc., etc. So to answer your question, what, uh, what the country UAE has very successfully managed to do is to keep the politics away from what the business environment is. And because of its political leanings, it's a friend to all and hopefully enemy to none. And one of the ways that I have personally seen is, for example, it has one of the largest networks of double tax treaties and bilateral investment treaties around the world. So the UAE explicitly does good with other countries, and it helps to to improve the relations with, uh, with, with, with other countries. So yes, I mean, what might happen in the future is something that we don't know, but till now, it has managed to do it quite well. Yes, yes. I mean, it's um, it's an increasingly challenging backdrop, though. But let's let's part that there. Okay. So, so just zooming in very quickly before we go on to kind of what we're seeing in commodities, because the relevancy of this story is that many organisations, uh, clients of ours, etc., are either considering setting up offices or already have them, and also startups etc are increasingly choosing the emirates to to locate for a variety of reasons and just staying with the lens again on the commodities sector you mentioned tax there can you just give us a, a quick sweeping view of kind of the competitive advantages that policies have created around things like financing legal tax you know and other incentives etc for the ease of doing business and the uh, the profitability of doing business Sure. So, yes, I mean, as I said, these are uh, quite uh, long-standing incentives that they have done. And they have actually taken some pretty radical uh, steps to make it a good place to do business. One of the examples that I start with is, I mean, uh, when, for example, ADGM was being set up, and same thing, I believe, for the IFC as well, 16, 17 years back, they decided that these two financial free zones will be based on common law. And that immediately means that the two financial free zones, uh, where quite a lot of international activity is anchored, is based on a legal code, which people will find very, very familiar, whether you're working in the States, in Canada, 
in the UK, Singapore, uh, Australia, Hong Kong, etc., etc. So the first, if you will, I mean, it's not an incentive, but the first enabling factor that they made was it's a global set of uh, rules and regulations, which is based upon common law. So common law, which makes it consistent across all these jurisdictions. And you know that commodities are not traded or operated from just one jurisdiction. You've got Singapore as a hub. A very large producer of commodities is Australia. Then obviously quite a lot of trading happens uh, in London, US. The advantage and perhaps I would say one of the reasons why these countries, as I mentioned, are big commodities hubs is because of the fact that they use English common law. And for DIFC and ADGM to use this particular legal structure, it's a big enabler for the UAE to become a commodities hub as well, like Dubai and uh, fast up and coming Abu Dhabi as well. Besides this, the UAE has always been a tax-efficient jurisdiction. For umpteen years, it had zero corporate taxes, although with a view of aligning with the global tax moves, it's now proposing to levy a relatively low 9% corporate tax rate coming up next year, which will again keep it very tax-efficient. Besides this, obviously, there is no personal taxes uh, levied on on people and there are no restrictions for profit repatriation, etc., etc. In terms of commodities, look, I mean, as I said, this particular country has uh, one of the major planks has been that it is designed around commodities, uh, imports, exports, value addition, storage, financing, so on and so forth. So if you look at all the free trade zones in in Dubai or, for example, in in Abu Dhabi, these are all explicitly designed to make life much more easier for people who are dealing in commodities. Whether you're talking about, for example, diamonds, uh, one of the largest number of vaults are here in Dubai. If you're talking about transshipment of uh, of commodities, uh, both Dubai and Abu Dhabi have got fantastic port facilities and land to actually store and, of course, trade. There are exchanges that are coming up and have been in existence for a long time. And what's happening is is that uh, it's not just sort of you know the traditional old money type of commodities trading that you're looking at you see the people element as well dubai and to a lesser extent abu dhabi is stuffed full of commodity traders because of the tax advantages the fact that it is so safe it is so well connected commodity traders love to stay in dubai and abu dhabi and trade uh, markets ranging from uh, singapore to the local markets um, West Coast of Africa, Europe, and of course, uh, US. So from a time zone perspective, from a connectivity perspective, uh, from a logistics and and efficiency perspective, the policies are explicitly designed to make it easier for you to do commodities, trading, financing, storage, and all kinds of assorted services. And I'm sure you're going to ask me later on, and the new stuff that is coming up is all around how we can use digital assets, virtual assets, and crypto assets mm. to further evolve this market to, uh, to the next level. The HC Insider podcast is brought to you by HC Group, a retained search, intelligence, and advisory firm 
focus solely on the global energy and commodity sector. With six locations across Asia, Europe and the Americas and over 50 consultants. To find out more, go to our website, hcgroup.global. There, you can also sign up for our HC Insider content for more interviews and white papers on relevant trends and talent impacts in the commodities world. So just staying on crypto and digital assets for for the minute, because, of course, there is an increasing alignment between commodities and crypto, both in mm-hmm. the talent that is this cross pollinating between the two sectors and also a vision and a view that blockchain technology could really be a a game changer for how commodities trade, introducing transparency, uh, even DeFi, all these great things. Is is our digital assets and crypto in particular, is that a booming sector in, in the UAE? Absolutely booming like nobody's business. Let me let me throw some some thoughts and ideas at you. I was quoted a number of 220 substantial crypto firms who have come into the UAE just this year. And the number of crypto, uh, they, they call them as crypto bros, um, the, the number is estimated to be 40,000 people who are currently in these 220 firms. Now, uh, your mileage might vary, but not all of them have been imported uh, from abroad. But a lot of them are actually based over here, and they have gone to the commodities market to pick them up to come here. Now, you might ask why. So some of the reasons are commodities traditionally have been very thin margins. So you have to be very, very smart to make money, number one. Number two, a substantial amount of commodities trading is on a trading basis, a speculation basis, rather than physical delivery. And that is where the crypto markets also come. They are also very complex. People think that, you know, we're just talking about commodities as a simple piece, but commodities trading is extremely complex, which again is quite similar to that of uh, the commodities market. So people who have experience in the commodity markets, I would say are naturally fit for the crypto market as well. And if I look at the hiring patterns, the salaries, the the benefits packages that the crypto firms are providing, although of course right now there's a bit of a hiatus and a slowdown, but not to that much extent, the big boys are still hiring. It is a good place for for commodity players if they wanted to cut into crypto to do. But not just that, what a lot of crypto firms are heading into commodities areas and vice versa. So absolutely hotbed of innovation, great place to say, no taxes, great connectivity. So the, the people agenda is definitely high up in, in importance in this area. Mm. And, and I want to come back because there obviously there are some headwinds as well, you know, in the interest of a balanced discussion, right? It's, it's attracting talent to the region, especially diverse talent. Gender diversity can be a bit of a challenge. There obviously have been some strides there in the last couple of years. Um, let's come back to that. But I, I want to just do a little bit of a look at what's actually going on in the commodities sector right now, perhaps staying with traditional energy. You know, we've obviously seen ad hoc building midstream and downstream capabilities. That's been a, a big, a big effort over the last three, four years. What's going, you know, is, is money continuing to flow into that sector? 
where are we at with LNG, you know, etc. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm I'm personally seeing quite a lot of uh, money flowing in and proper institutional money. You mentioned Adnox, sort of, you know, the pipeline deal that they did. We've been sort of, you know, international uh, institutional funds are coming in. And now you are starting to see proper funds being set up over here who are investing in this. Not just that, other avenues of financing have opened up. So, for example, you had FertiGlobe, which uh, IPO'd last year, and Bruge, which uh, IPO'd this year in ADX. And that kind of fundraising, which you're talking about in the billions, is an indication of how much the vibrancy of financing markets are here and the money's coming in. Look, don't get me wrong. It's not about all the money is going to be presented and and locked in just in Abu Dhabi or UAE. This is the place for you to manage money. And and the money managers are here, the people who are looking at the, the, the funds flowing in and out. And of course, local investment is huge as well. So absolutely, a, a substantial amount of money is coming in in, in, in the traditional energy sources. Mm. And where does the UAE sit with regards to energy transition? Ah. So I think it's a quite an interesting mechanism that they're adopting. So you'll see that they're trying to balance their energy mix. Now you have got nuclear, they have solar, they obviously have got oil and gas-based energy sources, and they are pivoting and investing quite heavily into future energy sources like hydrogen and ammonia. And you have seen, uh, you might have seen the news stories about them starting to ship ammonia across from here to other countries ranging from Europe to US and and discussing with other partners like India and Europe, uh, et cetera, et cetera, as to how they can help develop the, the hydrogen economy. Not just that, but you also have got very heavy investment in energy management. So, for example, somebody told me that Abu Dhabi UAE has got one of the world's largest batteries, which can power the entire country or emirate for, for six hours. So, they are trying to build resilience into the into the system, diversification, a variety of different energy sources, and it's it's becoming quite powerful. And I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, interesting developments happening in the in the shipping area, in the electricity area, in the distribution side, so on and so forth. Yes, and I just want to staying on energy transition. You know, there's been a number of announcements and efforts on the carbon side as well. Can you just talk to that? And that does play into the uh, the digital assets piece. Sure. The carbon piece is definitely something that is very, very important because what a lot of people are starting to say, you've got to be carbon neutral. Absolutely. The UAE is going to be hosting the COP28 next year. So obviously that will provide a very large amount of public uh, interest and, and focus on what is UAE itself doing. So from that perspective, for example, quite a lot of the, from what I've heard, oil shipments are already uh, aimed at becoming carbon neutral. So when you load the oil onto the tanker, it is shipped with a carbon certificate saying the entire cargo is carbon neutral, to give you an example. Now, when you start doing that, it increases the 
the attractiveness of UAE and Abu Dhabi as a place to do business because you can still take care of the energy needs and you're doing it in a sustainable way. So that kind of left field interesting options are definitely being uh, explored and implemented. Uh, ADGM uh, just uh, recently announced that Air Carbon, which is a tokenized carbon certificate exchange, has uh, received an in-principle approval and they're going to start trading carbon certificates uh, in a tokenized way. So that's an example of a future commodity carbon certificates being uh, traded in in new money that is is on a token and creating new marketplaces like an exchange and bringing in the the wider MIASA and even the global uh, participants to come over to Abu Dhabi to do to carbon trading and and reduce the carbon footprint of uh, a variety of production and and trading stuff that is generated out of the UAE. So Mm. all the assets and all the building blocks are coming together and in a very flexible, and perhaps I forgot to say, I mean, there is an appetite to invest in these interesting ideas. So that makes it even more interesting to come and set up over here. Yeah. The, the we haven't obviously touched on metals and ags, but I just want to quickly ask on ags. We are in a period of rising prices in food. There's lots of discussion in the wake of of the events in Ukraine around food security. What, if anything, is the UAE doing on the ags piece? Is there investment in creating a a, a national champion ag house? I mean, just that's just speculation on my part. But can you just talk a little bit to the ags piece? Sure. I mean, look, uh, the interesting part is people just focus on, oh, ag tech and we let's do vertical farming or let's see whether we can grow something in, in the desert or let's uh, invest in something that is space-based uh, agriculture. And all of these things have been done. But those are what I would call as the shiny things. People don't really think about the vast amount of things you need to do to make a country truly food independent and food secure. So, for example, UAE is very heavily rolling out a proper system of railways within the UAE and it's going to connect GCC. So, transportation of uh, cereals, of food, etc., etc., is going to become much more easier. It's starting to invest in in, uh, agriculture, not just in the UAE, but abroad. It's starting to look at warehousing capacity Uh, The UAE keeps on speaking to the grocery stores and talking about what kind of minimum amount of working capital, uh, sorry, amount of inventory they need to keep post-COVID. Those items have been looked at. And it's not just on the supply side. When you're talking about food security, you also need to look at the nutrition side. And and there is a well-thought-out strategy, investment, uh, and, and action to protect the local population, both uh, Emiratis as well as the residents, foreign residents. So quite an interesting way of looking at food security. And I would say that they are pretty much one of the best. And I've seen other countries as well try and get to food security and not get as far as, uh, uh, as the UAE has. Hmm. Thanks for that. Okay, so all of this is, at least in my mind, is all empowered by people, right? And I think, you know, you've you've highlighted that there are a lot of financial know-how in the region alongside a lot of money. And there's also quite a lot of technical expertise as well. 
to build the region as the as a true rival commodity hub compared to London, Switzerland, Singapore, New York, Houston, you do need the talent there. And and obviously there has been um, over the last few years, as we mentioned, even through just the work we've been doing with our office, uh, a pull of talent to the region. Can I just, I'd love to get your sort of comments on how how easy you've seen that being, what some of the, the, the challenges and the headwinds are to to getting people to go there. Because I'm sure people do come with some preconceptions around, you know, different gender roles and freedoms alongside that, lifestyle, etc. No, that's a fair point. And I think the preconception piece is something that I want to uh, hit uh, straight on because in so many times when I've been on roadshows, and talking to people, and they still have this weird image that when you're looking at UAE, oh, uh, I can't drive. But no, that is not the case at all. Uh, the UAE, insofar as the, for example, if you take gender aspects, uh, rates pretty high. If you look at the number of CEOs, if you look at the number of ministers, if you look at the salary gaps, if you look at the amount of wealth that is controlled by women, heck, Abu Dhabi has been rated as the safest city in the world for six years running. One of the factors in there was women's safety. And the explicit question that was asked was, if you are a woman, would you feel safe in the city walking around at 11 o'clock at night? Abu Dhabi came first and, and Dubai was close behind. The services over here are substantial. So if you are a family, if you are alone, the, the variety of the entertainment pieces those are good. So what I would say is preconceptions are definitely there, but the educational system for your kids, the transportation, I have a seven-minute commute and, and I get excited if, if it goes into 10 minutes. That's the kind of commute I'm looking at in, 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 in Abu Dhabi. Pretty much anything can be delivered directly to your home. You get spoiled by the feeling of safety. And and when I go back uh, to other cities, I literally have to get into the cynical, paranoid phase of mind. So coming and living here and, and, and doing business, the preconceptions are still there. But if you look at the rate of growth that we are seeing in the commodity sectors, in the financial sector, in the crypto sector, people have started to realize that there are more important things than life. Heck, there are so many museums that are coming up in, in, uh, in the UAE. One recently opened in Dubai, the Museum of the Future. Uh, you've got the Louvre, you've got the Guggenheim coming up. There's a National History Museum. There's the Manarat al Sadiyat. It is absolutely stuffed full of museums. Mm. And if uh, if people look at your LinkedIn, they'll see that you you frequently post from those museums as well, which uh, I personally yes. always enjoy. One, I know we're limited on time on this one, but one final question: a, a bit of a public service announcement, really. What, what's the deal with visas? Uh, uh, none. Uh, <laughs> no deal. Uh, literally, you. Uh, they have made coming here and working so much more easy. Uh, there is, uh, especially in the financial free zones or even abroad, uh, in the uh, not abroad, in the uh, onshore, literally you can, you can bring in anybody you want from outside. And uh, there are special categories. If you buy a, a property, you get a, a golden visa. You got a PhD, you got a golden visa. You are a uh, CEO or a senior director, uh, you get a golden visa. A golden visa is a long-term visa. With, uh, with very little restrictions. So literally, 
this is one of the easiest places to come in as far as immigration and uh, visas are concerned. You, you, you would love the beautifully smooth way of transiting through the airport. Literally, it's easy as pie. Mm. Well, it's been a really interesting discussion. And I think it's one, particularly as we see more and more sort of uncertainty and perhaps even fragmentation of the globe into competing spheres of influence you know, between some of the great world powers, I think you'll, we'll see the UAE and Abu Dhabi's and Dubai's rolling commodities further increase due to, as we said, some of those sort of natural blessings like location in terms of time zones, but also some very specific policies. So I look forward to having you back on, Pascal, in a, in a couple of years and see where we stand. But just want to thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, looking forward to collaborating with you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and HC Group, a search and advisory firm dedicated to the commodity markets, visit our website at www.hcgroup.global. There you can find out more about our services and our offices around the world. There you can also find more content from interviews to insight pieces to more podcasts focused on the commodity value chains. Thanks again for listening.